Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, let's get this one started, everybody. So we have got a fantastic Apple Podcast Review of the Week. So this one comes from Maddie, Maddie Dubs. So I'm not quite sure who Maddie Dubs is, but Maddie says, titled it, Need a Boost in Encouragement? Get a fix of this. So that's pretty cool. Nice, uh, nice beginning to this one, Maddie. So I've only known Dan and his show for a short time, but I quickly binged my way through it in one day. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Very uplifting message, very real story. And that I know a ton of us can relate to and a very great audio supplement to lift up and inspire dads to do and be better. So I'm not quite sure if he owns a GNC or if he's got a protein shop or whatever, whatever his thing is, but I love being an audio supplement. So that is fantastic. Today, we have got just a uh, fascinating guest that's coming on. We've got Father Nicholas Amato. He's been a priest in the Baltimore Archdiocese for over 50 years, over 20 years ministering as a pastor. And uh, for the past 15 years, he's been leading retreats, parish missions, and days of recollection full time. And then he's a speaker, writer, and he does individual spiritual direction for people. So with your background in history, it just fascinates me. The Monsignor at my church talking to him. It's like he's got so much wisdom and then also simplifies things so well. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you, Father Nicholas. Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be here with you. We are, I think, going to be enthralled by what you've got to say. Uh, however, in your years of being a priest, when it comes to to men and dads specifically, uh, what are the things that they come to and they say, I got troubles, you know, help me? Well, I think uh, men go from teenagers to college students to young adults to young marrieds. And in that journey, I think what often happens is a guy starts to realize, particularly when he's going to start getting married, that this is serious business and this is a life that he needs to plan on and plan for. And then there's something happens, a baby is born and suddenly there's this miracle, uh, this experience of miracle birth that... I and my wife gave rise to this. And so it's an easy shift from going to be a natural dad to being a spiritual father. And there's a desire in baptism, a lot of guys feel, that I'm not only giving this child life, but I'm giving this child eternal life. And then that opens up a whole nother source of of rich grace flowing in his life. So that's the kind of path I see because I I lead men's groups in my parish here in, in Maryland. I was a group life director for about 43 men's groups. We have over 200 uh, groups for men, women, couples, et cetera. So I'm very interested in the guy part of what it means to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So when you see a challenge there, I know I see one quite a bit, but when say a 35 or 40 year old guy comes up and is like, father, help me. (laughs) I got this problem. What What do you expect to hear next? Like if you had that normal one that comes your direction, or you might have, you know, three choices of, well, he's either going to go this way, this way, or this way, because things fall into patterns a lot. Well, the problem, the presenting problem may not be the real problem. So for example, he may be stressed or he may have trouble with a, a relationship, but that's the presenting issue. So I would really try to talk or Zoom or have a conversation about, not about him trying to love somebody better, but to knowing what his fear is, what's he afraid of? What's, what's he afraid of? Because if you deal with that, then you open the way for love to flow. You know, love drives out fear. So if you're having trouble loving, that's, you know, I don't want you to, to build your love muscle. I want to know what you fear. And that's a hard question to ask a guy because the guy's not going to be too 
readily uh, too open to say that what that is. But if you have a constant, just a conversation with them one on one, kind of like an Emmaus walk, and start to see what's going on. Is it disillusionment? Is it is it stress? And then then I try to deal with that. So there's a presenting issue that really underlies something much deeper. You just said uh, Emmaus walk. So for the listeners that go, wait, what do you say? What's that about? Like, very good. Well, the Emmaus walk is the disciples of Jesus after the death of Jesus on their way to Emmaus, a town in uh, Palestine. And uh, what they are is they're, they're disillusioned by what happened to Jesus Christ. This was a friend of theirs. This was a teacher. This was someone they walked with. So it's in their very disillusionment as they walk on the way to Emmaus that a, quote, stranger comes up and talks to them, who is actually Jesus, and he doesn't even know it's Jesus. And what he does is he doesn't, he just talks to them, he relates to them in their disillusionment, and he starts to share with them touchstones that, he, that, that help them understand what's going on. They finally get to Emmaus, they still, he still doesn't tell them who he is, they get to Emmaus, they invite it, now he's a pal, they get him you know, we got this great relationship going. They invite him into the dinner, and as they break bread, the guy disappears. Yikes! So, so the question is: Is Christ is now present in a new way, and he's he's present as enlightenment. He's present as community. He's present in their breaking of the bread. So, what do they do? They don't even stay the night. They get up and they go back to Jerusalem. So, so that's kind of the Emmaus understanding, and and it, it's a microcosm. Of, of a walk I try to do with any guy who's disillusioned, any guy who's struggling, any guy who's stressed. Oh, that's great. And it's all about relationships first. That's Jesus' model. It's not about the teaching of the church. It's not about what you have to believe. It's about disillusionment and talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. That disillusionment, guys have that. And I find it really important to have people around us that help wake us up or help ask a few questions that that move us away from that space of disillusionment and bring us back to reality and what's important. And guy, you know, in some ways, women do this much more easily than guys do. Guys have trouble uh, pulling off the mask of "I'm great, I'm strong, I can get through this." Watch me. You know, it's not a football game, and it's not. It's just not that kind of a paradigm. It's about vulnerability. It's about knowing your feelings. It's about having somebody near you that you can express them to. It's about lights going on in a relationship. Guy to guy, I think, is a very important. So I, my ministry, while I am a Catholic priest and celebrate mass, my ministry, basically one-on-ones, is to guys because there's not, they're under, they're under uh, administered to, if you will. And whether it's a dad or a boyfriend or a college guy, there's not as many people there ministering to them, and they've got bigger hurdles. To, to jump over than women do. Yeah. I notice often when I'm talking to a guy and I'll give him the question, whatever that question is. And oftentimes when they're in that uncomfortable space, they'll, they'll do kind of look over their shoulder, right. look over their other shoulder, look right at you and hunch down a little bit, get a little quiet. <laughs> and what they might be getting ready to reveal might not really be that big of a deal at all, right. but to them, it's a big deal. It's a huge know, deal. Everybody's, everybody's at a different level of connection. So if somebody's up here, you can't be here. If somebody's there, you can't be there. I do these walks every Saturday. I, walk, I hike for an hour with a different guy from any of my five groups. And so we just hike for an hour on a trail, a, a beautiful trail out here. And it's always just, how's it going? So that you're trying to figure out where he is because you don't know where to come in. So once you know how he's going, you know whether it's a physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, professional, who knows what. But but then you just you just kind of, you know, you kind of go up and down, and then you take him deeper. But but it's got to be on on his terms, and it's not a it's not snookering or blowing smoke. It's 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 doing what Jesus would do in a walk. You know, and, and somebody may have a moral problem, but that's not what he wants to talk about. Or the Internet, you know, he's, he's got an aversion to the Internet or whatever. And everybody's different. So some walks after an hour, we've just it's we've just talked about running and jogging. And that's enough because the relationship is something he can come back to. So you need to take people where they are 
try to take them deeper, but don't push it. That makes sense. So there's two, two things I thought of when you're explaining that one, I've got a, a good friend named Paul Gilbride. He's a, a men's coach. And he gave me a book, I think it was level 10 leadership, if I remember the name of it right. But in that, he, it talks about, you might be at a nine or a 10 in the levels, but you're with somebody that's maybe a three. So right. if you try to communicate to them from up top, they don't hear you and they resent you and they want to get the heck away from you. But if you're at maybe a four or a five, they can reach up and grab a hold and you can bring them up a level or two with you, but you can't keep going with them until they meet you at the higher level. So you got to connect with them where they are. And I hear the, that concept a lot of different places. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that a hundred percent makes sense to me. You'd think if you're, you know, running at a super high level, you could just grab somebody and, and snatch them up and bring them up there with you, but it doesn't work that way. It's all about building the relationship and, and building it at whatever level the person is at. That's really critical because even if they, they go away and you don't get your goal achieved, they've made a friend. They've had somebody to talk to. And the next time, you know, it'll be deeper and better. The other thing is, is you know, I, I say on, on, on purpose, on subject, because this isn't a counseling relationship, but it's two guys walking, that's one thing. But if I'm doing spiritual direction, to a guy, and I, I have half a dozen guys I see spiritually for spiritual direction every every month, and now they're all by Zoom. So they like one's in Netherlands, you know, so like one's in Austria, so <laughs> they can be anywhere. That's a different relationship. It's it's not equal, not that we're not equal, but I'm the spiritual director, you know. Right. Or, or if I'm in a counseling relationship, I gotta be careful about transference and counter-transference. But when you're walking with a guy and just talking, I mean, that's a whole different thing because you're really equal. So you have to know what your needs are and what your role is. I mean, that that's kind of important. Like that you talked about earlier and just now walking with them, you know, getting out in nature and being shoulder to shoulder with a guy. I find often uh, when you're table to take, you know, facing them at a table sitting situation, well, you're already shaking your head. So I'll let you right. expand on that. It's, it's too, it's too, it's a hot seat. First, you've got a table separating you. Secondly, it's too confrontational. It's too, the thing, uh, I'm a jog, I jog every day. And uh, I've tried <laughs> doing these with joggers, but you get so out of breath, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard. And, and, you know, we do a lot of social distancing here in Maryland. And so uh, you can walk and talk and still be masked and, still maintain probably three and a half, four feet and still hear each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So hiking is better. And I always say hiking rather than walking because guys want to hike. Guys want to hike. Yes. Yeah, they don't want to walk. Don't talk about walking. I do that with my dog, you know, so, you know, it's uh, that you just, so you have to know what the relationship is and make it all relational. Jesus operated. So you talk hiking. So a lot of guys in, in business, they're like, Hey, let's go get coffee. Let's go do whatever. I'm like, Hey, if instead of coffee, would you like to go throw axes or jog or hike or mountain climb? Or right. they're like, we can do that. Like, <laughs> We can do anything we want. Like we don't have to fall into the, the societal norm of coffee. Like if you want right. coffee, I'll do coffee with you. But you know, I also have a few other places we can go if you want to do any of this adventure type stuff. And uh, guys, yeah. guys totally dig that. I was talking to a, a former Top Gun flight instructor. He flew the F-15. He's like, oh. hey, I'd love to get coffee with you. I'm like, I'd love to get coffee with you, too. I'd also love to throw axes with you. And he goes, that would be awesome. Are you, are you an axe thrower? <laughs> I am. Yeah, I sure am. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've, ne I, I've been to the competitions, but I've never... I've never known someone. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm not necessarily competitive at it. I just didn't, you know, ho hobbyist. I enjoy it. How's you your know? shoulder? I mean, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, as long as you're not throwing that big double fireman ax type thing that they have, that's ridiculous. That thing is so heavy and in it, it, that would cause me injury. If I <laughs> you know you're, uh, you're throwing axes <laughs> reminds me, I'm, I'm going to do a, something for my 80th birthday. And it's going to be an overnight and I don't know what it is. So probably going to be about two or three days. So I'm thinking I'm a planner. So I think first categories, do I want, I, I'm trying to mark my birthday in solitude. So I don't want to party and I don't want my best friend. And I don't want to, I want to, what do I, so I, I've got three areas. Uh, it's either going to be solitude adventure. And then I'm going to do the NCR, the, uh, the trail, the Appalachian trail, or do I want 
solitude and comfort, then I'm gonna do this retreat house that I know right on the pond. Or do I want, uh, do I want solitude risk? So that would be something like two years ago, I jumped out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. You know, do I want something like that? So I, I, I haven't decided which category. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, axe throwing, I hadn't thought of axe throwing. Anyway. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And uh, the indoor climbing stuff is really fun too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You do rock climbing? Yeah. Yeah, we sure do. My whole family goes on Monday nights. Oh, wow. My wife, my daughters, we just love it. I should be talking to you about what I need to think about. From Oh, after this podcast, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds great. And earlier you're talking about meeting people where they are. I had a friend of mine come up to me and uh, have a situation and it involves his daughter. And I relate a different story to him that I had heard. A daughter was just mad at, mad at her dad, you know, just angry at the world, including her father. And for whatever reason, the dad, they used to go fishing together all the time. They hadn't been fishing for a while. So the dad took her fishing over the weekend and for three days, it was absolute silence. Wow. No phones, no nothing. They're in a little fishing boat, just the two of them. No conversation whatsoever. Not a, can you grab that for me? Not a please, not a thank you, nothing. Was that by design? No, he, he took her fishing just to get her away from the environment they were in and the angst and everything. But he had no design as to what this might be like. But she was in a place of, not giving in and not wanting to communicate. So he just enjoyed being with her and fishing and she fished and he fished. And about day two and a half, she's like, Hey, uh, dad, (laughs) he's like, man, I'm waiting two and a half days to communicate with my daughter. And because we don't have devices and noise and finally she had enough space and she opened up and started talking to things from her heart to him that of what mattered next thing you know they're embracing and she's crying on his lap and just letting him know all the things that were that had her wound up that she needed to let go but just didn't know how and didn't know her dad was in that safe space where she could talk to him about this teenage girl stuff and but he met her where she was and she finally opened up and had that say and i was like man there's a coolest story sometimes it's not words it's actions Well, you know, the where she was, was a place she had never been in some sense, because both he and she were, were so um, wrapped up in their ego sense of their ego self and all the stresses of the relationship. So what the fishing did was it created a space to do something together and to go deeper than conversation and deeper than thought. Once the once this silence was reached, there was a there was a most likely a different experience of who they were individually, and that opens the door to saying what. And then it's heart speaking to heart. That's why lovers sit and gaze at each other, and that's why old people rock on their rocking chairs on their porch together without both groups without words, because there's a language. I mean, I'm just in spirituality, there's a language so much deeper, richer than words. So I spend a half hour every morning and a half hour every evening in silence before a candle. Boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. Half hour in the morning, half hour at night. Right. 5.30 in the morning, five o'clock in the evening. Okay. I've heard people do similar things. And I've heard people say, when I try to get started, I couldn't go 15 seconds. Right. And I've heard there's a little bit of training and endurance that goes into that. So uh, walk, walk us through that process. In terms of a prayer, a prayer framework, we've got verbal, vocal prayer. Everybody knows what that is. We've got meditation. We, people know what that is. So Jesus is talking about uh, seed falling on four kinds of earth. That's a meditation. Who am I? What, seed, what earth am I? How am I receptive to God's word? What's keeping me from meditation? And then you've got contemplation. Contemplation, people who are contemplatives, and I'm a contemplative, don't want to call themselves contemplatives because it's too, it's too prideful. It's too uh, hoop-de-doo. Who do I think I am? You know, it's too ego-centered. So people who are committed to contemplative practice speak of contemplative practice, not contem- contemplation. 
So I practice contemplation. I'm a contemplative practitioner. That's not as haughty as being I'm a prayerful person or I'm a meditator. Does that make sense? <laughs> so so what, what is going on between the daughter and the father's fishing is that the ego self is being calmed down and placed aside. So the ego self is comprised of two principles. I am who I think I am, my ego self, albeit very good. You're a dad, you've got responsibilities, you're two daughters, your wife, whatever. So the ego self isn't bad, but it gets in the way of contemplative prayer. So what you have to do is you have to look at the constituents of the ego self, which is your body and your mind, and in some way address both those aspects of the ego self, put them at rest so that the ego self can slide aside and you can go into a dimension of existence that's called contemplation, where you're not thinking and your body, you know, isn't, you're not aware of your body, okay? I know this sounds a little highfalutin, but just stay with me a minute. If you can relax the body by breathing deeply, and that's it takes practice, but there are, you know, there are nine ways to breathe and, you know, Eastern folks have really helped us with that. And so if you can relax the, bring the body to relaxation, and if you can quiet the mind, those are the constitutive elements of the ego self. When you do that, the ego self will slide by, and it's kind of like a, an opaque sliding door opening up and and then this, 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 this field of, I don't know, forget-me-nots opens up. Or this field of gazing into the, the heavens opens up. So what it takes is, and why people have trouble doing it, because it's, pra- it's, it's called contemplative practice. And it takes working on body and mind. And once you do that, you go into a space that's you and not you. So you're still there, but you're not there with thinking, you're there in awareness. And the space you're in is the presence of God. I mean, the presence of God. And so the minute you start thinking though, oh, this is great, you're out, you're <laughs> because, you, because you're thinking. Yeah. You know? So it's, it, it takes practice. And that's what I do, I'm a practitioner. So it takes practice. Would you say that you go into that state? You mentioned you're a runner. I'm a runner also. Would you say you go into that state when you're on? Three quarter mile, I hit that. Really? That's quick. Yeah. The endorphins, I I run maybe three miles a day. I I climb 50 staircases a day. And then I do 15,000 steps. So I do a lot of, uh, and then I, I also do circuit weight training three times a week. And you mentioned your, your 80th birthday. Is that a year or two from now? Or is that uh, March 1st? <laughs> okay. So yeah. you look like you're maybe 65, maybe 60. So, so folks, uh, this exercise thing does a oh, body yeah. good. <laughs> Prayer, exercise, nutrition, community. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's so good. But let, let me just say, uh, if I may, yes, I've written three books that all deal with the kind of, I just want to insert them into how they relate to what I've just said. Yes, please. So I've got uh, living in God, contemplative prayer and contemplative action, right. moving from stress to joy. And then your brand new book, happiness and joy. Can a spiritual life have both? I wanted to interject those in at some point. So the most recent one, happiness and joy. Can a spiritual life have both? Take it from there. Okay. So, 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 so what? So I've always been a contemplative, even as a child, but it wasn't called contemplation when I was young. It was, I was a sixth grader. So I'm 12 years, let's see, 12 years old, sitting in the backyard, staring into the woods. My mother comes out, Nikki, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just thinking, well, don't just think, read a book. You scare me when you do that. And so I was contemplating. I was gone. I was lost. There was a stream near our house. I would lay on the bank of the stream and I'd watch the leaves go by or I'd uh, coming home from school in fourth or fifth grade, I'd lie down by the gutter and watch the ants building, the building, the, you know. So I was just fascinated by everything. <laughs> and so I became known as the daydreamer, but I was really the contemplative, not the daydreamer. So 
it wasn't until later that I realized this is, I want to live in that consciousness. I want to live there. So I became, after years and years ago, I, I, I became an affiliate, or actually an associate of, of Trappist Monastery. And for those who don't know, Trappists are contemplative vegetarians. So I became an associate of a of Mepkin Abbey in South Carolina. And I lived there for 90 days. No talking, no meat, uh, and you know, seven hours of prayer every day. And uh, man, I loved it. And uh, <laughs> when, when the 90 days was over, the, 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 the abbot said, Nicholas, um, you know, if you want to apply to become a monk, we, we'd love to have you. I said, I'll be almost 80 by the time I'm ready for to become a monk. I said, I said, I'm not sure this is what I, God wants me to do. Well, what it was, was the beginning of um, wanting to become a contemplative, but also wanted to be active. And so this book, this first book is a result of my life at the monastery. And so it's uh, the title, if you want to live in God, it takes contemplative prayer and it takes contemplative action. So your prayer is not just getting caught up in the presence of God, be beautiful as that is, but living out of it in contemplative action. So what does it mean every morning when I come out of my prayer and I've had contemplative prayer, how do I convert that to action? And how does it impact my day? So that the way it impacts my day is God's presence from my prayer moving in from my prayer, moving me into my action. And then what I'm doing is not Nicholas. My doing is God through Nicholas. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yes. That's, that's the first book. The second book, uh, I was a, a, a spiritual integrator at a residential facility for people with double addictions and, and or personality disorders. And it's called St. Luke Institute in, Wash, uh, in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. And it's for priests, religious, and sisters and brothers who are addicts. And it's six month residential. So I would work with the therapists. They do the psychological piece. I do the spiritual piece. And then we'd integrate, because all these people had deep prayer lives, we'd integrate their therapy into their spirituality. So what happens is prayer is kind of like a parabola, you know, that shape from geometry class. It's kind of like the first thing to go in the life of a, anybody is often in the life of a religious committed to prayer is they stop praying. Then they start pet crossing boundaries. Then they're unbearable to live with. Then they slide off and they go down and they reach the bottom. Then they're either brought in by the police or the bishop or the superior because they're intolerable, they can't live like this anymore, they wanna turn around. And so we start up. So we start with medication, we start with testing, we start with therapy, we start with spiritual integration and out they come and back into ministry. So this, this dynamic isn't just for people who are addicts, this dynamic is for anybody whose life isn't working. This is for any, any dad who wants to be the best dad he can be. The parabola works, I mean, it does. So. Out of that experience of years, I wrote the second book, which is called Moving from Stress to Joy. And so it's anybody moving from any stress to any joy. And it's kind of packed with, with analysis and how to do it and, and, and ways to do it and tips. For example, if you're under stress ah, and your life is coming apart, you know, in that moment, the three things you have to remember, this will pass minimize damage. Do not judge. Tell me those again. I think, I think people are going to rewind and catch these again. So you might as well just give it to them again. So whenever it, whenever you're, and this is the work of, of a gal, a doctor named Lauren Mellon, M-E-L-L-I-N. Whenever you're in the most dreadful, stressful situation, the three things you have to remember is this will pass. And you receive, you repeat that at least 20 times. Or you repeat it until it clicks in your head. Then minimize damage. Do not go to the refrigerator and finish the half gallon of butter pecan ice cream. Minimize damage. You repeat that at least 20 times or until it clicks. And then do not judge. Do not judge yourself. This is not about you being good, bad, or indifferent. Do not judge. And 
and each of those things have to click. And there's a click that happens. And it's in my book and it's in the work of, of, of Laurel Mel. Mel- I know exactly the click you're talking about. Oh, exactly. All I right. know exactly what you're talking about. I've yeah. experienced that so many times. And, 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 you know, the thing that brought me to this was I, I, I was in an airport giving a talk in, in, in Florida, in Orlando, and I'm here in Baltimore and I, I fall asleep because I'm always early to the airport. I fall asleep. I've got like an hour and a half to go yet. And I wake up and it says boarding for Albany. And I thought, what? Boarding for Albany? And I said, I went to the desk. I said, what? what? They said, oh, that flight went a long time. That flight went an hour ago. I said, I slept through the flight and I couldn't get another flight. I couldn't. I, this was like eight o'clock in the morning. I at 12. I, they put me on standby. I was eighth on standby. Couldn't do it. Three o'clock, you know, minimize damage. Do not judge. This will pass. Click, click, click. And I went back and sat down and everything worked out. <laughs> That's right. You eventually got to Albany. <laughs> no, no, no. I eventually got to Orlando. Orlando. I, I, I did. I, I, I did call and but but I couldn't have I couldn't have spoken in a in a in a in a sound frame of mind if I hadn't clicked click clicked. I mean it just so that that's a good tip. That's a great tip. People often ask me how I'm able to stay calm all the time. I'm a pretty apparently calm person. I don't necessarily see what some of the world sees sometimes, but it, it's a process like that. Yeah. You know, I, I, filters and. Uh, your own internal thinking. And when you said, do not judge, I'm like, I've heard that a million times from people where they said, I'm a terrible person. I'm a bad dad. I'm, you know, whatever. And I'm like, why are you saying that to yourself? But, but, but even to get into positive things like, well, I always get here early. Well, that's, you're trying to rationalize why you're not to blame. It's not about blame. (laughs) So just stop it. Yes, yes, yeah. My 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 daughter, she was I think six or seven at the time, my oldest daughter, and she says, Daddy, I'm studying to be a princess. I'm gonna learn to be a princess. And I said, I don't know that I like where this is going. I said, What does it mean to be a princess? And she starts rattling things off. And the thing that I'll never forget, she said, uh, it it also says only say nice things to others oh. and yourself. Oh, and I said, okay, let's talk more about that. Does she, does she go to Montessori school? <laughs> right, right. So as she's growing up, I, I remind her of that from time to time. That's and wonderful. it's funny, adults, as I'm walking around, I'm like, hey, you should you know, work on training to be a princess. And they kind of laugh, like, whatever. And I'm like, Here, here's what I'm talking about. And they go, huh, I do say bad things to myself that I wouldn't oh. say to somebody else, but I'm willing to accept it into my internal life. And you know, as dads, we can... A different friend of mine says, should on yourself. I should be doing this. I I can't believe how messed up I am. It's like, ah, no, don't get rid of that garbage. Just, you know, put good thoughts into your own head. How about moving to the third book? By the way. Uh, yeah, let's jump to the third book. The first was uh, published 2016, the second 2018, and this third one is 2020. And I'm already down with a publisher for one in 2022. The 2022 one, uh, just, well, you're you're an expert, I think, for the 2022 one. It says the title is going to be Forever Young, and I'm in agreement with that. Like, <laughs> you've got the secret. Uh, yeah, it's it's three things, and it's, it's they have very little to do with nutrition, weight, or age. No, no, they have they have very little to do with nutri- with weight, bulk weight. Yeah, age, or oh, b- b- physically sound. They've mm-hmm. got three other things. Three, there's three other things that they've got to do with. Anyway, you have to. That's still in the work. I, I'm still doing a review of literature on it, by the way. So. Okay. Okay. But uh, let's go to um, to happiness uh, and joy. Yeah. Um, I am consumed by what makes people tick, because I know psychologically you can't account for all behavior. So I'm always interested when somebody when something makes a difference. I want to know why it made the difference. When something moves you to action, whether it's to paint the bedroom that you haven't been wanting to do this morning, one of my guys in my, my group was that. I said, well, what was it that finally made you paint the paint, uh, paint the paint, paint the room? That's what fascinates me. 
Why two years? It took you two years to do this? Why couldn't your wife even be successful and something else was? That's for me, it's like the tipping point. It's the fulcrum on the seesaw. It's, it's like, when are you going up and when are you going down, you know? So that fascinates me. And being a spiritual kind of guy, I'm always interested that fundamentally it's got something to do with something greater than yourself. Uh, whether it's a greater idea or a greater presence or a greater sense. It's not limited by time and space. It's not limited by your thinking. So, so I'm always like a, a hound dog trying to find what this is. So something tipped me to become a priest. And you know, I can remember I, like it was yesterday, something tipped me to become a, a, a to, I wasn't raised in a Catholic church, but something tipped me to become a Catholic. Something tipped me to write a book. So, you know, some, so I, I just like tipping points and that they have to do with spirituality. And for dads and for men, this is a crucial thing to look for because we are governed by tipping points that are not worthy of the word. <laughs> you know, they're just not worthy of the word. So, so I started to realize that, that happiness and joy were very different. They have a different feel. So I could be happy as long as I have something or I achieve something. But the minute I, I've achieved it, it doesn't satisfy. It's kind of like opening the presents at Christmas. Daddy, 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 whoa! And then they're gone, you know? <laughs> so my mother and father always, we opened one present and then we, we put all the, we opened them all and then we, we got to choose one. The others they put away. And then mm -hmm. after a month or so, they bring one out. Yay! You know, and, and I started to realize, like after six months, we're still happy, but it's too dependent on the on the silly thing we got. So, right. Or the goal. You achieve a goal and suddenly you want something more. So I said, Well, isn't there a happiness that's different that wow, it's like thirst and it only grows deeper and it doesn't go away. And that's joy. So I started to, now I parse these for myself. And, you know, um, I'm beyond definitions. I want the experience of what it means to be joy and what it means to be happy. And you'll notice the book cover, it's a surf. And the stillness of the sea coming in before it crests is joy. The crest and the, this, the foam is happiness. And the sea doesn't go away. But the cresting, the foam, the reset, the receding does, and that's happiness. You can also think about a, a, a glass of carbonated water. There's oxygen in the still water. There's oxygen in the bubbles. The bubbles have twice as much oxygen, uh, but they fizzle and they're gone. The mm -hmm. water, H2O, only has one oxygen. So it's only got half the oxygen of the bubble, but it perdures. So if you can capture the presence of the oxygen, you don't have to worry about holding on to anything. You got it. So that's kind of why the, the developer, the artist came up with the seashore, you know, the idea. So, so what it means is joy lasts, joy perdures, joy is deeper, joy is experienced in a different way than, ha than happiness is experienced. The big takeaway is that joy not only grows and deepens and that it's never enough, but not that what you have doesn't satisfy. Does that make sense? It, it just, does make sense, yeah. You just want to taste more of it. You know, you want more, a, a more robust red wine. You know, you want, you want the notes, you want the flavors, you want the, you know, whatever it is. But that you're mad not magical, but the spiritual thing about joy is that you can be joyful in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, till death do you part, if you're talking to dads, till death do you, you're talking to married, you guys are still married. So for me, there's such a payoff. So how do you do this? How do you, how do you live a life of joy? And that's kind of the book. So can a spiritual life have both? Yes. However, you have to understand how they operate and what you really want to go after. Also, happiness can lead to joy. So I'm about being a joy guy and how do you how do you maximize it and how do you live out of it and how do you make it happen more often? So I've developed this thing called joy jolts. You know, like 
uh, whenever I need a joy jolt, I've got, you know, and there's a chapter in the book on joy jolts. And a joy jolt can be a simple thing like, um, oh, like, I don't know, watching a, a, the snow fell today in Baltimore and just watching the snow kind of cover everything and feeling so snug as a bug in a rug. And mm -hmm. um, so that's a joy jolt. Or looking at a picture of a loved one. I mean, that's why people have pictures around. That's a joy jolt. Or pictures of the children or, or watching a child sleeping is a joy jolt. Mm -hmm. so it every, sure is. Yeah. And I don't even have a kid. You know, everybody calls me father. No one calls me dad. You know, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so whatever, it, but you got to develop a lot of these and have them ready because they, they serve a purpose. So, so that's another issue about how do you maintain more joy in your life? There are, so I developed this book as a self-help guide. And when I was talking to the publisher, you know, we were talking about what segment of the market do we want it to go to? Is it spirituality? Is it psychology? Is it, and it's really, uh, it's spirituality. It's not, it's not for churchy people. It's not, not that churchy people are bad, but it's, it's for people who have a longing for happiness that just doesn't get satisfied. So it's not denominational. It's not Christian. It's whatever you want. The second is that it's, 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 it's a useful guide. You can use it. It's kind of set up as a guide. You could, you could go away for a week and use it. It's, it's got seven chapters. So it's seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven hours. You can do it with somebody. You can do it with a group of guys, a group of your listeners. Give me a call. We can get together, do it by Zoom and we can do anything. We can do anything. That's no, cool. Yeah. So, uh, so that was my idea. And it, the, the market, it's, it's about people who want to experience more than happiness in their life. And uh, that's kind of where I took it. So that's the market. Uh, so it's not, it's, it could be, you know, they could be from the East. It could be meditators, anybody. So we've got, you know, guys, <laughs> guys are always looking to do big things and whatever. And we get frustrated or depressed when we realize that we're turning 40 or whatever it is. And we haven't accomplished these big things, or maybe we have accomplished the big things. Like I was talking with a Navy SEAL and, He's like, I was never so depressed as when they said, hey, you're a Navy SEAL. Congratulations. He's like, wow. at that minute, I realized I had accomplished the end all and be all. What was left? Like, what's yeah. after? What is the next mountaintop? There isn't yeah. one. You know, you know what's left? And I, I, I work with 12-step groups a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly the third and fourth uh, steps for confession and clearing your head. And um, let me just say that the 12th step, is testimony and ministering and serving others. And I have a Navy SEAL in one of my groups. And what he does is he swims that thing in uh, Clearwater or something. The Navy SEALs do that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he testifies. He's got a Navy SEAL group he meets with monthly. I mean, and he testifies to other guys. So when, when, it, when, you, when you don't think you can go bigger, better, richer, branch out. Because it's not about you. It's about you with this wonderful accomplishment for others. Yeah. That is what I have found where I find joy is when I'm for others and I'm not for self. Right. That's where I, that's where I find joy and peace. And then also when I'm connecting with God, other than myself, like it's about him. That's where I'm like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Like you and, even mentioned like sleeping kids. When I see that, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh. And, and when, and, and when dad's, this is a whole realm that dads don't think about a whole lot, or if they do, you know, their, their role just, just cripples them and can cripple them, whether it's because they're, they're you know, just the job and the, the profit and the, the market and the profits and the dog eat dog and the sales. And women have that too, to a degree, but men wear this mantle in a way that smothers them. Yes. <laughs> and so this kind of stuff is important for guys to hear. I'm so glad to hear that you know, it's, this is for guys. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned one of the, one of the tips was to, uh, you know, you reach the, the, the peak and then spread it out. What other tips have you got like that for the guys that have accomplished things, done things or didn't accomplish things, but they're in that. Oh, now what? I would, I would ask you what brings you happiness because they understand happiness. And then of all those things that he would say, bring you happy. And I'm just thinking off the cuff here. 
if, of all those things he says that brings him happiness, I'd see which is the one that could lead to joy most easily for this guy, given his circumstances, his situation, his marriage. You know, it could be a single dad. I mean, right. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to meet him on the, on his terms of happiness. And then of the, the things he mentions to me, which one will lead to joy? And, and, and the book can help you see which ones lead to joy, because some do lead to joy very naturally. So if he were to tell me going out with the guys and I say, well, tell me what guy or guys, what kind of guys, what are they interested in? Well, they're interested in and in, uh, throwing axes. Okay. I say, well, what's the exhilaration? What's the feeling? What's the bonding? Now you're getting in some touchy areas here because these are guys and guys don't talk about feelings. And you're going to, no, he's not my boyfriend, you know, and all that crazy. <laughs> so, so you got to be careful because you want to talk to a guy like a guy in a way a guy knows that he, that he maybe can break through on. So, so the guys who throw axes, but what's the feeling of that? What do you do after the axes are thrown? What kind of conversations do you have? So I'm trying to, to tease out of a very commonplace ho, ho, ho guy thing to much more affective domain, you know, where feelings are involved. Then I might get into some vulnerability questions like, did any guy ever share something that was vulnerable? What was that like? Well, then I see what what's the temperature on that and how did that make you feel? Now, now I'm getting into really touchy stuff with him. And so if he starts to close down, then I open up, you know, back, I'm going too deep, too fast. So it depends on the individual. You know, my thing with spiritual directees, the guys I see on spiritual direction monthly, is I generally refer them to three questions each month. How's it going with God? What were the surprises this month? And this isn't, they don't have to be spiritual surprises, just what were the surprises? And third, what would you honestly say were the resistances that you experienced in moving forward in your spiritual life? Because you get those three things. The first one establishes the baseline. The second opens him up to seeing what might be God-based and spiritually centered that he's not aware of. It's a surprise. And, and the resistances is, is the hard work because they, that's where God's trying to break through. Yeah, and if surprises don't get it, maybe resistances will. So then just on that, you can, we can, you and I could talk an hour on that. <laughs> right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. We certainly do resist things. As soon as things start getting better than we're comfortable with, we resist. Right. When it's somebody else's idea, we resist. <laughs> but you know, why? The, the golden question is why? Because that's where the fruit is. Yes. That's the low hanging fruit. Let's, let's go for that. I love that question of, you know, what, what were the surprises this month? Yeah. Cause that question, you never know what somebody's going to answer. And, and it, it also, it also knocks it, them off their course too. <laughs> and it, it's not as threatening as the third question. Right. Because the second question opens them up. He still thinks it's ha ha easy going, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You're just lighting him up for the kill. Not well, not for the kill, for the joy. Yeah, yeah. And he's and, and with that surprise question, he's still got control at that point. I'll exactly. disclose what I exactly. want to disclose. Amen. Right. Yeah. Now, what, are your, what are your resistances? And if he can't think of any, I can just glean a few from the surprises. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely, you can yeah. for sure. I heard a guy once. He talked about three different ways of thinking how you think about yourself. So I believe I am fill in the blank. Also what you believe about the world in general, your overall world philosophy. I believe the world is whatever. And then I believe everybody thinks this about me. So their oh, opinion of me is, and filtering through those different lenses helps understand why you're thinking the way you think about certain things. So if you've got a, you know, I'm worthless mentality stepping into situations. That's a bad place to start from. Yeah. Yeah. You need a joy job. Yeah. Yeah. Or if the world's a horrible, evil place, well, that's a rough place to start. 
sometimes it's a function of personalities and character. So, you know, somebody who's naturally optimistic has a, has a you know, uh, they have a leg up on this one. Somebody who's pessimistic, it's not as easy. So it's more of a struggle. Uh, I wake up every morning with a kind of a, like a melancholia. And it, it, I'm, but I'm a pretty optimistic guy. So I, I, I was talking this out with my spiritual director and I decided that I need to wake up from the moment I wake up, I need to be in a better frame of mind immediately. So what I did was I took uh, Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for a Common Man. Uh, it's a beautiful piece. It's a trumpet voluntary piece. And it's about two and a half minutes. And I made a, a, a promise that uh, on my uh, wake up uh, alarm, I have, you know, see, you can play CD. So the CD takes about two and a half minutes. This was many years ago, I, five years ago, I did this. So, so when the, when the uh, lot, so my commitment was that by the time the music as it started, it starts off very quiet and builds to this wow fanfare. And that I would, by the, from the time I hear the alarm to its ending, I would end up at the windows like this. Yeah, that's the like champion pose. Exactly. Yeah, arms so, outstretched, victory. Exactly. And exactly. And so I did it. It was kind of fun. And it was fun. And I, it got me up, 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 throw off the bed covers, run to the window, throw up my arms. And the music was such an inspiration to me. Now I don't. I wake up at four o'clock every day kind of automatically. So Yes, yes. Yeah, so those of you out there, if you're just kind of whatever right now, stand up and do that champion's pose and like experience yeah. it, like live into it. And you, it's amazing when you smile and stretch your arms out like that and, and live it you just feel so much better and get energized by it. And, or you can just, uh, Google, uh, what is it called? YouTube fanfare for the common man, Aaron okay. Copeland, absolutely yeah. outstanding. So that's, that's cool. another many tips. And now of course I don't do it anymore. Now I go to bed at nine o'clock. I get up at four. And what I do is I set my clock, my, my wristwatch for seven hours. So if I go to bed at quarter of nine, then I wake up at quarter of four. So my okay. So I don't, I don't need the fanfare anymore. I, I am, I am ready to go. That's great. Yeah. I find if I get up and uh, exercise right away, that just helps my, the whole rest of my day go so much better. So that's gotta be one of the first, maybe 30, 45 minutes. Once I'm up. Another tip is in the bathroom, put your running shoes, your socks, your shorts, your headband, your headset, whatever. Then when you go to the bathroom, first thing in the morning, who greets you? You sneak, sneak and say, hi, Nicholas, it's me. I can't wait. Let's go. And you're one step closer than, oh, no, I got to run today. You know? Oh, heck no. I get I get to run today and I get to listen to a podcast or I get to listen to the Bible in a year or. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, I'm way awake, awake way earlier than the kids because I need my me time. I, I need to work out. I need to. Sure need to get that infusion of, uh, you know, goodness, joy really is what it is in the morning. How old are the kids now? Uh, eight years old daughter. And then a seven-year-old also daughter. Oh, and the princess is the eight-year-old. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, life is so rich and these kind of conversations with men, I find exhilarating because I mean, I find exhilarating talking to women, but women are easier to do this. And when guys do it, they're doing it from a, a, a far away, a farther away place. So their joy is like unbounded. It's like, wow, it's like this Columbus discovered in America. <laughs> Where women is, oh, that's a great insight, Nicholas. The guys are saying, wow. Yes, they yes. Never, they've never said wow, you know? Yeah, such a, such a big deal with guys having that breakthrough for sure. Well, have you got anything that you'd like to close us off with or, or any other any other ideas? And then also, I always like to ask if you've got a challenge for the men also to close the podcast out. So uh, final thoughts and then also uh, set you up for a challenge. A final and a challenge, a final. My, the final is I retired from being a pastor from 21 years in 2010. And the day is going to come when you guys retire. Or the day is going to come when you're 50, or the day is going to come when you're 40. Think of these milestones as important milestones, and that there's a new decade before you. 
So go to that birthday with some kind of anticipation. So I did that at the age of 70. And I went to the I went to my boss, the cardinal, archbishop, and said, I want to get into, I want to become, a I want to work on retreats and be a contemplative. He said, I was just going to give you two more parishes. I said, no, eminence, you didn't hear me. I want to retire. And so anyway, he allowed me. But the 10 years from 70 to 80, where I am now, have been the most fruitful decade of my life. Wow. The most fruitful decade of my life. And why is because I let them evolve and I listened to my heart and I took risks. I just, at each step, I just kind of said, what, what's out there for me next? Not a goal in mind, but just being open to the future unfolding. And so whatever the decade is that you're starting, create something that's gonna be different. It doesn't have to be retirement until you're 60 or 70 or whatever. But it can be a creative new decade. Mm, so that, I love that, that's, that. My, that's my tip. I love uh, that. So oftentimes, guys, people don't pause and reflect and think about what they're actually currently doing. So we kind of drift and just cruise through life and then look back and go, what happened the last 10, 20, exactly, 30 years? Exactly. You know, it's like somebody once told me it's like toilet, a toilet paper roll. You're the roller on which the paper is rolled. The roller as you're pulling the paper off and the years are going by, the roller spins faster and faster. Time goes faster and faster and faster because there's less of it. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. That's so, so good. So here's my challenge. Perfect challenge. I would, ch how many, I don't know who you guys are, but I want to look you right in the eye, whoever you are, you, I would challenge you to spend five minutes before the kids get up or five minutes in lunch at lunchtime or five minutes when you can break away and, and put in your, your calendar, put your five minute meeting or a 10 minute meeting and do that for one week and just, just relax and just breathe. And I, I do something called a 484 breathing method. So I breathe in four, hold it for four. Oh, sorry, it's a 448 method. Breathe in four, hold it four, exhale eight. Keep doing that until you get to 10. 10 in, 10 hold, 20 out. You will, you will be in heaven. 10 in, hold like that, for yeah. 10. And then breathe out 20. 20, wow. So 10 is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I guarantee if you do that three times, the 10, 10, 20, you'll be in euphoria. Now, if you're 70 or older, be careful because you'll hyperventilate. <laughs> <laughs> That's the disclaimer. But if, if you're under 70, no problem. I picked something like that up from the Navy SEALs. They call it box breathing or four by four by four. Yeah. Well, four in, pause, four out, pause, four in, and just keep doing that in a cyclical nature. Uh, I love I love mixing it up. And get, I assume you do lower abdomen breathing also when you're doing do. that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Then I also do, I, I do something on the intake. I roll my, cause I do a lot of uh, exercise. I do, I roll my shoulders back and that helps spread Expand, my Expand, yep. And then I also lift my head. So you got, you know, you got full lung capacity because of your air windpipe and your chest. And then I hold it, I hold it there. And then I just come back down. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's crazy to think we're talking about breathing guys. However, <laughs> I was on a call with guys from across the world, all these high level guys we read a book and out of this 200 page book, we're like, all right, what was the biggest takeaway? And everybody talked about some version of breathing and the lower abdomen and getting rid of fear and anxiety and exactly what father Nicholas is talking about right now. So the challenge in a nutshell is this, that's all we've said. Challenge in a nutshell is this. I challenge you for five minutes a day for one week, to, to, to find a space alone and just breathe and, and just do four, four, eight or five, five, you know, 10. 
and your head will clear and you'll have a space for other things to come into your mind that are not stressful. Just do it. The other thing is, you all, will I all see my email at some point somewhere? Yes. Okay. If you want to email me, email me, you know, give, give me a call, slip me a text. I mean, this, this is too good not for the world to, for the world not to know. It's just too good. Father Nicholas Amato spelled out Father Nicholas Amato at gmail.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, great. Fabulous. And maybe I'll hear from some of you. Just link yourself. Tell me Dan, the man sent you. Then I'll know who you are. That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Dan, someday it'd be great to meet you in person, but who knows that day, that day may come. Yes. Yes. That would be great. I appreciate your time so much today, Father Nicholas and the men, the dads appreciate your time as well. Say hello to the princess. I will. I will. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.